This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? I'm doing well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good as well. <laughs> What's new? It's been a, been a week since we talked. We work together, but we never talk outside of this room. No, we just, we come in here. Every editing change is made in this podcast studio. We record it all. Yep. So what's going on? Not much. Not much. I mean, <laughs> this is weird. We've talking two weeks in a row. I don't have like a month worth of stuff to catch up on. I know. It feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> so there are uh, there are at least two things that I want to talk about. We talked at length about Egg Harbor last time on the podcast, mm-hmm. and we've got updates for a couple other municipalities this week. We're going to talk about Ephraim and some of the stuff that's going on over there. And then we have some interesting stuff happening up in Sister Bay as well. Yeah. And I even have a small update on Egg Harbor. All right. Well, let's jump into Egg Harbor first. We'll do that continuity. People are <laughs> chomping at the bit to hear more about Egg Harbor from last week. What's new? Church Street is almost completed. As of today, we're recording this on Wednesday. The striping has been done on the new Church Street. For those unfamiliar, that is like the only side street in, in Egg Harbor. That's the one they've been... Uh, up by the Crest Pavilion and the Peg Egan Concert Pavilion. And they've made a lot of improvements there with sidewalks and bike lanes and more parking up there. That's kind of been their big thing they've been pushing for a couple of years is once we get that parking, that will that will solve our a lot of our parking problems. So that is now paved and striped and sidewalked. And the last thing they got to do is put in the streetlights up there. It seems like streetlights would be a bigger to-do than that. Like, do they have to put it into the ground or? So they lay the base for those and the, all the conduit for those, all, so they, they have power. They do that all as they do the sidewalks. And then really at this point, it's sort of like you put up the light pole and plug it in. So you huh. just kind of connect it and that's all they got to do. So that's actually, I don't want to call anything easy when it comes to those projects, but that one's relatively easy compared to like digging the trench and running the wire. Right. All right. Well, then Church Street is uh, nearly finished. I haven't actually been up there since they, since before they started redoing it. So it'll be mm. cool to see what it's all like now. Yeah. Look clean and new. Yeah. You said that it was Egg Harbor's only side street. And that got me thinking like, do other towns have prominent side streets like Church Street is or like public facing side streets like that? Because pretty much everything along that road is public facing like not residences. Mm-hmm. But then you think about the side streets in Bailey's Harbor or Ephraim, those are a lot more residential. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question you ask because it actually has come up in some of these, as these towns have taken on their new, their big highway projects. It's an issue for these different communities. When you're on a peninsula, when the land is narrow and there's not a lot of like other land to build those roads. We're not like Chicago, which has this massive grid or even like a small town like Algoma that has a lot of these side streets. All of our Northern door communities are generally like the highway goes through it and that's the road. And And everything is built off of that road except for like neighborhoods. Right. Like, so Fish Creek has that, the old downtown neighborhood where like Founder Square is and stuff, which is pretty cool. But there's not, when they were redoing their highway, there really wasn't a, a detour route that could, oh, we'll just move traffic over one block. There's no through street there. There's no easy connection. In Sister Bay, they had 
a similar problem. Even now they have this problem because there's not a different way to route traffic that doesn't route them kind of completely south and out of town to County Q almost. So when you're trying to figure out a different route there, you're, you don't have this easy connection. And they kind of miss the opportunity in Sister Bay. Dick Burris has told me this story that at one point they wanted to extend Spring Road, which is if there is a, a comparable to Church Street in Sister Bay, it would be North Spring Road. And if you were to continue that road all the way from like the north end that comes out on, I think it's Hill Road up by where Base Camp Coffee used to be, there was a plan to connect that all the way through town, up the hill, past Maple Drive, kind of behind the Sister Bay Bowl, and go up by Scandia Village. So you would have this street that runs parallel the entire width of the village. But they decided not to buy the property to continue that road that whole stretch. Now they kind of pay the price because they don't have that secondary route and this other option to move traffic through town or even for locals to duke around town. So they get kind of stuck. At about the same time that Sister Bay was considering that, that's when Egg Harbor built Church Street. And it was a pretty small road and it was just kind of a back access. There was no property back there that was really impeding. It was all fields back there in the 80s, 90s, and really almost Newport Resort was the only thing on there until basically the Crest Pavilion and a few other things got built. So they had this easy swath and, you know, good for them that they thought to do that because it's actually become a, a pretty important road in Egg Harbor. Right. Did it connect to a church originally? Is that why it was called Church Street? Sort of. There's actually a church on kind of opposite ends of that street. There's Stella Maris on the south end where that Church Street ends at Harbor School Road. And then there's the Moravian Church on the almost at the north end at County E. So maybe that is why they call it that, but I couldn't tell you that for sure. Right. Yeah, I'm always intrigued. I mean, it's got to be, I guess. Yeah, I'm intrigued when streets are named after the thing that is on them. Like, like Penn Players? Yeah, Pencil <laughs> Players Road, or the one that I find the most funny when my GPS says it is uh, Costco Boulevard. When you're driving down <laughs> in Green Bay, it's like, turn left onto Costco Boulevard. And there, there are a lot of roads up here that once were named after basically the only person who lived on them because it was so rural that it was like whatever farmer lived on it, everyone just referred to that as that road. Hmm. They've since been renamed, but I, I believe like West Meadow is an example of this. Some old timers have told me like that, that used to be Soane's Road. And I don't know if they meant that that was actually like kind of legally Soane's Road or if it was just what they called it. But there are several examples of that throughout. I mean, even creeks and stuff like that are just named after locals who lived next to that creek. <laughs> right. Uh, quick out-of-door county sidebar, since I mentioned Costco. If you've been down to Costco recently, you ever, like, look around that area? Because I don't know what was down there before, but there's this, like, big farm that's butted right up against the highway, and then the roundabouts, and then there's the Costco and a quick trip and all this stuff that built up, I'm assuming, around Costco. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, owning that farm and then just, like, in a matter of 10 years, having everything change around you like that. It's funny you mention that because I think about that farm every time I'm at that roundabout, if I'm if I'm down in the Green Bay. Because I mean, it's every, so every close. Time, like, it's like five times a year, right? But yeah. when I'm there, I'm, you know, it's a cool old barn. For those of you who are into barns and, and love kind of crumbling old farmsteads, I love seeing it. And I'm like, gosh, I hope that's always there. But it can't be long for this world. I mean, some somebody's going to buy it for another strip mall right around that whole right mecca of strip malls that has sprouted up over there yeah that's kind of the that's the 
the fear when you build right on the corner of your property line because you're you're never going to know what's going to come right up in next to it. At yeah. my previous house in, house in Egg Harbor, my house was built right on the back corner. So I had a ton of front yard and a ton of side yard, but like no backyard at all, maybe 20 feet of backyard from my back door. And our neighbors who built after we moved in there, they extended their property all the way to the back of their lot. And so there was, you know, 30 feet between the end of our house, like our back window and their stuff. And were they Nazis? Is that why you moved? Was it a neighbor? No. Problem? No, absolutely not. Come on, call them out right here, Andrew. You hated your neighbors? No, our neighbors were really great. I mean, uh, you ran like 40 miles away from them. We had we had two Yorkies and they had a Yorkie and our Yorkies would always run into each other's yards to hang out and play. And the first time we met actually was because our dog had been running into their yard for about a week after they, they moved in. And I kept getting more and more anxious about it. Like, man, they're going to be so mad that our dogs keep going into their yard. But then the first time I met them was because I went over there. Our dogs weren't coming back, so I had to go pick them up. And she came out and she was like, oh, you're a neighbor. I'm so glad that your dogs ran into our yard because our dog has been running into your yard for the last week. And we've been so worried that you were going to be upset. <laughs> so we were both just afraid that each other was going to be mad at our dogs. And then what you ultimately did was break up the friendship between these three Yorkies? Yes. Their, their dog's name was Snickers, and he was wonderful. <laughs> and I miss him. He would sometimes just come and poop in our yard. And it was fun to see him in the backyard. Okay, I want to talk about one last thing before we take our break. Let's dangle Sister Bay over the break so that people will have to stick around to find out what's going on up there. Before the break, let's talk about Ephraim. What's going on in Ephraim? Ephraim, what is going on in Ephraim? Actually, quite a bit in Ephraim. There's a couple things that one I reported on a couple weeks ago that we, we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, which is a proposal to build kind of a housing subdivision on the north end of Ephraim. So for those who don't know, Ephraim extends beyond Anderson Dock. And yeah, a lot <laughs> farther, because you were telling me about this before we started recording. And if, if like, you had just described the location you were talking about, I would have convinced it was Sister Bay. Yeah, it's sort of like, I think, call it like the purgatory between Sister Bay and Ephraim. It's like this, this little Ephraim or little Sister Bay. And in fact, it's just beyond Little Sister Hill. So... If you know where the Associated Bank is and Townline Road and Highway 42 intersect, right there at Associated Bank and McKeefrey and Yeomans, and Yeomans, then there's the spot at the Sacred Ground. And then behind the spot at Sacred Grounds on Townline Road, there's a property back there that's about 23 acres, two lots, or one big lot, but it's on two different zoning parcels. So they want to combine that and put in 23 single-family homes back there, which... On 15 acres is, to some people, too dense. To some people, just the right density. So they would be homes in the 1,700 to 2,400 square foot range. And this came up to the Ephraim Plan Commission last month. They tabled uh, a decision on it until they meet again later in July. At their meeting in late July. And we'll, I'll have that exact date in the, in the Pulse next week. Okay, so I'm a young man. I don't know a lot about a lot of things. So I'm going to ask you a very basic question because this is just dawning on me. If you're going to, they're building a neighborhood basically, mm -hmm. right? What does that entail? Because I guess if, I haven't really thought about it, but I guess I've figured that people build houses. Yeah, they do. But who's building the neighborhood? So in this case, it's uh, Chris Meltz, who is uh, the driving investor behind the Door Hotel. And then 
Keith Garrett is who he's working on this with, and people may remember that name. He built a lot of things in Sister Bay about 10, 12 years ago. And a lot of the housing that has been built behind the Piggly Wiggly area and the Greystone apartments behind there, a lot of that was built by Keith Garrett. A lot of that ended up being some of the only affordable housing for the longest time. It now sells for far more than it was built for. But originally homes in the ninety-four dollars to $140,000 townhome range. But later he fell into some disregard in Sister Bay for not following through and completing another project that Sister Bay had put out some money for. So there's some mixed results there, but it's Keith Garrett and Chris Meltz behind this one. And basically they, it's a, a big cul-de-sac subdivision. Okay. And so I say big. I mean, explain this to me like I'm five. Who built a neighborhood? Who builds a neighborhood? What are you getting at? <laughs> totally I, lost. Okay. So like the way that my brain thinks about it is I go on Zillow and I see a lot for sale mm-hmm. and I buy that lot and I build a house on it. But who builds the neighborhood? The developers in this case. Okay. And then the developers own that land and then they sell it. Correct. They buy the 23 acre lot. They build homes on, they build a road, they put in the infrastructure, they put in your sewer and water facilities they run your utilities and then they sell the homes. Oh, I thought every home was built by the people who build it, not that they're built and then people buy them. Oh, really? Yeah, because <laughs> I never thought about it before. Oh, well, yeah, I guess. So, that, you ever heard the term spec home? No. So, a spec home is a builder or developer who comes through and they're like, "Hey, we just believe there's a market." for housing. There's a market for this particular type of house. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to build this home with the sole intention of selling it. So I'm building it on speculation. So I don't have a buyer lined up. I'm going to build this house. Somebody's going to come along and buy it or want this. So that is a fairly common practice. Although well, you're, it, it seems like a huge investment, right? So why would you do it without knowing that somebody wanted it or, or had already bought it to fund it? So that's why when people do this, they try to do everything they can to minimize costs or push costs off so that they're not in the hole so much while they're building it. Or they get, you know, a lot of times they start building spec homes and then halfway through it, it's already sold. So it's sold before it's completed. Got it. So when I was growing up, I lived on a neighborhood that was just one little road. And then there were houses on either side of it. And our house was like the fifth home that was built there. And then slowly as I grew up, more homes were built on that road. Then when I left high school to go to college, they went and they basically turned the whole thing into a huge neighborhood. Like they added almost a half a mile of road hmm. back beyond where that I'm, I'm sh- drawing a circle with my fingers. I know that the audience can't see this. Um, and then they added like 50 more houses into our neighborhood that had maybe 30 houses to start with. So they doubled the size of the neighborhood or tripled it. And I guess my brain never went to like 50 people didn't just move in. Like somebody built all those houses and then sold them because they figured that this would be a good neighborhood to expand. But I never thought about it like that it's privately done. Yeah. I mean, most of the suburbs in the United States are built or basically be like spec cities. You know, they, they start as plan developments and, you know, they might start as a cul-de-sac here or cul-de-sac here. Maybe a, a, a city knows they want to expand and it's driving expansion. So they put in a road and that drives the development there just because they know there's this huge demand and they're going to get the tax base back for it, even though the tax base usually doesn't ever pay off for that. But I, w- I would guess that, 
I wonder, I, I, somebody much smarter than me from the industry would have to tell you whether or not more homes are built on spec or the traditional way you're thinking of where somebody wants a home and they build their home individually. But yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty large portion of it. So what Keith Garrett, the townhomes that he built behind the Piggly Wiggly years ago, I remember walking through that when they were under construction and it was, they weren't all sold before he built them. He's building them, speculating that there was a market for these and he, he was entirely correct on that. So then this is my last question before I let you finish what's going on in Ephraim. Why aren't more people doing this up in Door County? There's a huge market for homes. There is, but the Door County buyer to some extent is a peculiar one. So one, there's only so many builders on a peninsula. Even now, a lot of our builders are coming and, and the people who, if the building, if the company itself isn't located in Green Bay or South, a lot of their workers are. So they're having to import all these workers, makes everything more expensive. So the market's hot, which you'd think like, that's when they wouldn't be building all the speculation, but that means they're, now they can be picky and choosy about their projects. So take my, I'd like to add a, a room onto my house. It's really hard to get someone nailed down to even look at that project because they could do this small room or remodeling project, or I can just take these, $500,000, $700,000 home projects or multi-million dollar home projects. And for any builder, it's much more profitable to do that big million dollar home than it is to do that smaller home. So even right now, when there would be a huge market for like you, you, you would sell, if you were building $250,000 homes to $350,000 homes up here, again, you would sell them before you broke ground, but you wouldn't make as much money as if you just pick and choose the pricier projects. And that's why we don't get as many of those middle ground places built. When we did get more of those lower price house built, kind of counterintuitively is during the recession. That's when Keith Garrett built those behind the pig. That's when builders were looking for willing to take a much smaller margin on each, each project because they just needed cash flow. One, you know, there are a couple of things there. One, they didn't want to go to a business. Two, they had to put food on the table. Three, and this is a bigger part of it for some of these companies is we just need projects coming in. So I keep people employed so that I have my staff and I have my carpenters when the market turns around in a couple of years. Because if you just stop doing work altogether and you got to lay people off, well, they go out and get different jobs. And then when the market starts booming again, you don't have those guys. So you can't take advantage of it. So it's really important for those companies to keep their people employed, even if it's you know, in a bad time, keep them employed. Even if it's, you're not making a ton of money, the cash flow revenue is, is still really important. Right. Have we considered saying please? <laughs> but, I mean, we need more affordable houses. Yeah. Have I mean, we said please? It doesn't work. <laughs> I sat in a room a couple of years ago with the, when we were doing some of these seminars, just to get people to realize that the depth of the housing problem and the odd thing was this was before COVID and the boom in the market. And I, we, we were probably, I can't even remember if we were doing the podcast yet when we, when this was going on, but you know, this, this is a huge thing that we were just trying to wave a flag to try and get anybody to pay attention to from a policy perspective. And it really didn't slap people in the face until COVID hit and, and took it to another level. But at that time we organized one session with probably 20 to 30 developers, carpenters, builders, people in the trades, you know, the guys who who not, who build the homes, the general contractors, the, the concrete suppliers. And, 
And it was really interesting to sit there in that room. It's probably more important to sit in that room than it was to hear all the different housing programs or all the people's stories about not being able to find housing and communities. Oh, we want to do this, but we don't know what to do. Sitting in that room, and they should probably do that on an annual basis, like get 50 people in the trades and end developers, home builders in a room and hear from them because I learned so much, like just about how much more expensive it is just to get cement and concrete north of Bailey's Harbor and to transport the goods. And you're like, all those things, you're like, well, that's 10% more, that's 20% more. Building without sewer and water infrastructure, which is most of the county outside of downtown Sister Bay and Surgeon Bay, just makes your costs astronomically higher. And so all these things that you're like, well, that should be a, that should be a $180,000 home. They'll say, well, yeah, in Green Bay, that's $180,000 home. But just to build it in Door County, that's a $210,000 home before we take in profit margin and market and all these other things. Just getting the goods there changes the equation. So, right. Anyway, I went down a rabbit hole. Well, don't you love when you bring up a relatively simple news item and then I ask you to start from the beginning and explain it at a fundamental <laughs> level? <laughs> but that is what you're great at, Andrew. Right. And that is what probably is a good reminder for me as a journalist and a writer, not just on this podcast, but as you build up knowledge by attending tons of these meetings, you can start to forget that before you attended 400 municipal meetings, you didn't know all this other stuff. And that is most readers. Right. And that's no fault of them. That's just like where you would be if this wasn't your job to go to all these meetings, nobody would choose to do it. <laughs> all right. So all that being said, what's going on in Ephraim? Okay. So they have this proposal to build 23 single family homes. People in that neighborhood don't like it because in Door County, people don't like stuff. No, um, <laughs> there, are, there are reasons to it. They're worried about traffic. They're worried about the density, things like noise and changing the character of that little pocket of Ephraim. But a good chunk of it is zone commercial and always has been. So that's not, it's not new. This could always have been done with that parcel. And it's not like this parcel is out in the boondocks. It, it is literally kitty corner from a bank. So there's going to be some dispute here. I think Sister Bay or Ephraim indications are they probably will ask them to reduce the density. The builders will say it won't be worth it for us because that's what builders always say is if you reduce my density, it's not worth it. And then they reduce the density and somehow they find a way to make it work. It's still unclear exactly what they're going to be looking for for a price point on it. If these are, you know, the home homes are not massive, at least in the plan that they have presented. They're 1,700 to 2,300 square foot, which is actually below the median size of a new home built in the United States today, which I think is huh. at 2,600 square feet. So for example, like how big is your home? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head, but it is a lot smaller than my previous home, which I think was like 27,000. 27,000 square feet. Yeah. You lived in the big house up in Cicero. I think you mean 2,700 square no, feet. No, it's humongous. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of unused rooms. I, I owned all of Egg Harbor. So like I said, it's 2,600, I think is the going rate for the new home one built today. Not like, oh, I bought this new home, but it's existed for 50 years. I built home today. Not that long ago in the 80s, this was probably around 2000. So American homes just keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the big reasons why we wanted to move is because our house was too big. <laughs> it just like, even with two kids and us, it just, we still would have had two guest rooms. Yeah, that's- but You don't need all that space. Right. Yeah, that's a, a great point. I mean, in, in my case- I live in a 1,750 square foot home that 
we make larger by using the garage as basically a big living room. But, you know, I, I think of it, it's comfortable. I would, you know, now that I have a second kid and I try to find places where they can sleep, you'd like it a little bigger. You're in Door County, so which means people always visit. So you're kind of, you need that guest room almost daily, it seems. Um, or maybe that's just me with friends who pass out on my couch. But so it can feel tight, but it's plenty comfortable home. But again, the average is 26. So th- it'll be interesting what these, I don't know if that's like a, if they're aiming at a vacation type of thing or year-round resident type of thing. So that's where that th- sits. That'll come up uh, at the plan commission later this month. Anything else on Ephraim, not Sister Bay, but almost Sister Bay? Because well, we're going to talk about Sister Bay soon. More on the north end of Ephraim there. There is continuing discussion by the Ad Hoc Capital Projects Committee in Ephraim about what to do with the north end. I don't want to call it streetscape because when we use streetscape, we're thinking more of like the core areas like Ephraim downtown and Egg Harbor downtown and Fish Creek downtown where they're really urbanizing the streetscape. What Ephraim is looking at doing on the north end of the village between mainly between the Waterbury Resort and Townline Road, which would be McKeefrey and Yeomans, is what to do with the lighting there, if anything, and what to do with sidewalks or any sort of path there if anything. So if you remember just a few years ago, I think 2018, they redid the downtown. They put in new street lights. They put in a sidewalk from basically the, the old fire station museum past the beach down to Bay Breeze. Been really successful at getting more people to walk through town and has won pretty much universal praise from everyone down there, even though it took them a long time and a lot of going back to the drawing board to do it. But at that time they said, well, we'd like to do North Ephraim, but we really we don't have the money or the bandwidth to handle that yet. Now they're looking at that stretch. One of the things that is being looked at is they, they actually looked at widening the shoulder and having kind of like a walking slash biking path kind of on the road versus doing an off-road path on the east side of the road. And oddly enough, it actually came back that it was cheaper to do an off-road path than it is to like an off-road multi-model path, sort of like Sister Bay has. It's cheaper to do that than it is to do a wider shoulder because when you do a shoulder on the road, it has to be built for highway specs. So it has to be Mm. strong enough and thick enough to handle trucks and cars. And if you do an off-road path, you don't need that. So it actually costs... It can be mushy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and even at a paved surface, it can be a lot cheaper. So they're looking at that, and that's probably the recommendation they're going to go with. Or just get a bunch of pavers and lay them down. They could. For that stretch, probably like, I don't know, 1,500 pavers. Yeah, something like that. So they're going to recommend that to the village board. This is a long way from being complete, but that's the option that they're saying we we would like to pursue. They're also looking at lighting for the north end of Ephraim. Do they want to just do big kind of highway style overhead lights? Do they want to do continue the, the street lighting that they have in the downtown area to, for continuity's purposes. They will want to do something in between because the highway department will only put up street lights of the most basic kind, sort of at the main intersections. They're not going to pay for all of the state highway department is not going to pay for all of your lighting. So they're looking at doing some more decorative type stuff. And if they do an off-road path, making sure that that lighting creates a nice lit off-road path and, what Ken Nelson was saying at today's meeting, this is Wednesday again, This they met this morning. You know, it's all part of a vision of maybe a 10-year plan that would connect that downtown core 
to that north end and make it truly walkable. Similar to what Egg Harbor is getting after, they're going at Ephraim's going about it in a more low-profile way, but they're both kind of aiming for the same result. In my head, I take a leapfrog to that, and I go, what if 10 years from now they have that done, they filled in that gap, and so now Ephraim, Ephraim's downtown is connected to its sort of uptown north end by a pedestrian safe path, whether it's a combination of on-road and off-road. Well, now you got this little gap between Townline Road and Sister Bay, and their path that ends at the Open Hearth Lodge, like, could you connect that? And then feasibly, like, a 12-year-old kid could bike from downtown Sister Bay into downtown Ephraim without having to go on the highway and compete with cars and vehicles. Right. Be I'll cool. go one step further. You wait 10 years, all these communities complete their walking projects, then you just connect them all. We got a fully walkable peninsula. You just stepped into my head. There it is. <laughs> Door, Door County, the lo- as the longest sidewalk in America. If if I were mayor of Door County, not like not the nominal mayor as AJ Dillon would be, but if I were the wave a wand czar of Door County, that would be one of the number one priorities I would have. And I would wave a wand and we would have that path all the way through the communities. At least in Northern Door, it's not it's not that hard in the grand scheme of things that are hard, that's not that hard of a thing to do. And they've done it in Traverse City, Michigan, where in that peninsula they have I think it's a twenty seven mile off road paved bike path, multimodal path that connects all those communities, very similar to if you had Ephraim, Bailey's Harbor, Egg Harbor, Fish Creek, Sister Bay connected with a with a loop like that. It exists elsewhere. So we're not unique. Yeah, it could do be it. done. You know, because cherries, cherries are old. We don't like cherries anymore. We used to hang our hat on cherries. Now we're going to hang our hat on Passe. the United States' longest continuous sidewalk. Oh, it wouldn't even be close to the longest. Really? <laughs> no. I just said they got a 27-mile off-road paved path. And I'm talking about connecting Sturgeon Bay to Sister Bay and then back again on the other side. Have you been to Chicago? <laughs> yeah, but those are a bunch of little sidewalks all connected. I'm talking one big, Lakeshore long... bike path. How long is that? 18 miles along the Lakeshore. I believe it's 18. They might have extended it by now. What's the distance from Sturgeon Bay to Sister Bay and back? That's more than 18 miles. Only in your head. Yes, it is more than 18 miles. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. I need a break from you. We'll come back and we'll talk about Sister Bay. Real Sister Bay this time, not the weird spot north of Ephraim. <laughs> this episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring... For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. What's better than a Sunday morning jazzy brunch on the water? Join Destination Sturgeon Bay at Sunny's Pizzeria on August 7th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. for the second annual Bloody Mary Social. This small-scale festival features local Door County restaurants and their unique Bloody Marys. Each restaurant vendor will compete for the title of Best Bloody Mary and Best Bloody Mary Garnish. Who will win? Come and vote for your favorites to find out. Tickets are on sale now at DoorCountyTickets.com. Some of Door County's best stargazing happens indoors. 
Every year at Door Community Auditorium, we present a star-studded lineup of concerts featuring artists like Brandy Carlisle, The Lumineers, Jason Isbell, Mavis Staples, Billy Strings, Beach Boys, and Buddy Guy. You're now listening to Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives returning to our stage in Fish Creek, October 22nd. Visit dcauditorium.org for a full calendar of upcoming events and to get your tickets today. Okay, we are back. By the way, North Ephraim, are they uh, considering changing the speed limit when you go up the hill? from Ephraim as you're going north because there, there's no way that that needs to be 25 for as long as it is. It actually came up this morning. There are some people who would like to, but if they change it, there are some people who would like it to be lower. No. there's. Uh, I'm talking about that stretch right when you get up the hill and you're going up the hill and it's, it feels like, okay, we're out of town, time to speed up, but it's still 25 for a long time. You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're going north past Anderson Dock. You go up yes. that hill you're talking about. Yes, that hill should be faster. Well, this is actually the one where they said we need to make sure that's because I think it picks up to 35 or if you're heading south, it's still 35. And there are occasionally accidents there because apparently people can't control the car at that speed. So they were talking about, can we lower it? The state DOT on a, on a state highway, it's, it's really hard to just you can't just willy nilly change a lot of the speed limits. I thought Ephraim did every year. Ephraim does it every year. And I should actually look into why they can do that? It's a good question. Yeah. I think we should just update all of the street signs with electronic models, and then we can change it depending on traffic. And would be really smart, and probably 50 years from now, that's probably the case. All right. I digress. No Although more speed, speed limit signs only, they slow you down because of enforcement, but I've definitely found myself going through a super dead Ephraim, even if the speed limit is set at 25. I found myself going 40 even by accident. If it's if there's no traffic, you just go faster. I still stick to about 33 from no matter what, or 30 or lower, because it, when it's 35 in the winter, I'm still like, this is too fast through Ephraim. But the stretch from Bailey's Harbor to Sister Bay, that straight shot, that's the Audubon. You can go 150 <laughs> miles an hour down there if you want to. Yes, that's advisable. I'm not going to do any more sidebars. Let's talk about Sister Bay. What's up? I totally forgot about Sister Bay. You live there. <laughs> uh, Sister Bay had a few things come up this week. They have given kind of preliminary approval to a 11-unit hotel kind of addition of sorts to the Coach Light Inn. I thought they had, didn't they just do a big hotel? Yes. They need more? I don't, I don't think anyone knows what that hotel is. <laughs> that they, so the Coach Light, the owners of that, Richard and Jeannie Hoffman, um, want to build an 11-unit kind of vacation rental hotel next door. It's kind of across the street. It's on this tiny road. So the village had been discussing it for quite a while about, well, if you want to build that, you kind of make this private driveway a commercial stretch. So they've asked them to widen that road to 24 feet so that it's cars can go in each direction, egress and ingress type of thing. And they've got to come back to the drawing board with one more round of plans. Like if I were the developer, I'd say hopefully one more round of plans, not more, and get final approval from the village. But it looks like that project will be a go. What is a vacation rental hotel? It's sort of like, um, so a traditional hotel, you're going to have a lobby that's staffed, that's rented one night at a time, two nights, three nights at a time. A lot of Start these- Start from the beginning. How do hotels work? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> but now a lot of the condos that are getting built up here are actually being built sort of as hotels, just without the front desk. So you build a condominium, you sell it off, and then these people contract with vacation rental agencies for the most, usually- to manage these properties. They use them a fair amount, but they're largely 
used as vacation rentals. So they're an investment property to rent out, just like somebody who would buy a timeshare 30 years ago or 40 years ago, where you would just own the room, which is how Got a it. lot of Door County resorts are. And then you get a chunk of that rental income as your sort of return on investment through the years. And then hopefully you can sell it again down the road. So that is what a lot of those are. So like I said, it's like a, it's like building a hotel without having to staff it. Right. So that is sort of the concept here. Got it. So that is a potential going on. Also just a construction update. So I remember when everything was in construction in Sister Bay, like last year, Door Hotel is done. Then kind of behind it, like if you're driving past the Children's Center up there, there was that construction that was going on. And now there's the hospital, right? Yeah. Or the Sister Bay Clinic. Yes. So Door County Medical Center is continuing work pretty rapidly, actually, on their uh, new Sister Bay Clinic that will... That is the one with kind of the funky roof line. Yeah, as people are convinced will fail in the (laughs) winter, but I I guess it's going to work. I'm thinking they probably figured this out. That is the construction project you see as you enter Sister Bay from the south, heading north. It's on your right-hand side, kind of by Scandia Village, Good Samaritan. But yeah, once that's built, it's slated to open in, I think the goal is still December, Hmm. and they would move their Fish Creek Clinic into that Sister Bay location. Last time I talked to Brian Stevens, there were not plans for an urgent care in that building or things like, I don't know, pretty minimal. Yeah, you can expect the same stuff that you had at Fish Creek, basically. But more of it, it would combine their rehab services that are now housed in SCAND, would move into there. There was talk, although I haven't heard finalized pharmacy moving in there to kind of consolidate those efforts. Like I said, more rehab services, more staff up there. But, you know, a lot of people I talk to going around, is like, is there going to be an urgent care? Is there going to be an urgent care? So if you're Door County Medical Center, you might want to consider that. Get on it, DCMC. You heard it here first. And by a lot of people, people. I mean me in my house. No, just kidding. Yeah. We know that you want everything up in Sister Bay so that you never have to go to Sturgeon Bay. We know. We get it. What else is going on up there? The village of Sister Bay decided to allocate some funds from a an additional grant from Destination Door County as part of the increase in room tax. Destination Door County is giving grants back to communities and also like the, uh, a, a share of funds back to each community based on their percentage of room tax that they contribute to the is overall this, fund. Is this in addition to what they normally get back from room tax? This is in addition, yep. Okay, that's cool. So it's kind of, um, I forget what they call it. Sorry about that off the top of my head. But Sister Bay generates roughly 12.5% of total room tax for the county. So they get that number back. So it's a roughly $40,000 and they're going to apply that to the purchase of a bus, which they re- have received another $40,000 grant for through a different program. Louise Housen has been working very hard on that program to get a new shuttle bus. That's more consistent, you know, depending on the delays in getting that new bus probably next year that they would have that in sister Bay. So yeah, $80,000 total to get this new bus to continue pushing the shuttle that they have up there and expand it, potentially help transport more workers and use it in a lot of different ways. So the seeds of public transit in Door County are growing a little bit more every day. That's good to hear. Very little bit, but a little bit. Talking about houses coming up. We're talking about public transit. This is all walk walkable sidewalks. This is this is your dream, Miles. You've been talking to me on the podcast for four years about it. Almost it's, five years. It's not just my dream. It's smart, Andrew. Uh, one other thing, uh, Sister Bay, noise ordinance. They are talking about updating their noise ordinances because they started looking at this on the plan commission level. 
and they have actually like multiple versions of a noise ordinance in different places within their books there. So different development agreements have the decibel level, say, set at 75 decibels between the hours of 7 and 11 p.m. Other agreements have different numbers. The ordinance has another number that goes to 85 decibels. So how do you enforce that? Right. If our town ordinance is 85, but your development agreement is 75, well, how come the neighbor is at 85? All those different things. I used to grapple with this. Here's your favorite thing. Back in my day at Husby's. Woo! <laughs> drink, everybody. The the village would go around with a decibel reader, and if we had a band and it exceeded that, we'd get noise complaints, or they would come in and tell us with that decibel reader from the center line of the road what level it was at. And this is back in the day where we actually had to like close all the windows, and many times when we had bands, we would put blankets and foam over all the windows to absorb sound nowadays everyone just does bands outside and yeah. apparently it's, it's totally cool which i am in favor of but makes me think man i wish i wouldn't have had to spend an hour of my day putting blankets over the windows um did you bully the people who would come in with their little decibel reader and call them a nerd and throw them out i was 21 years old i didn't get to bully anybody i just no. had to roll my eyes and say really come on yeah so, if somebody walked into my bar with a decibel reader pushing up their glasses with their middle finger. I'm like, get, get out of here. I am sorry for the neighbor who bought the building next to a bar that has been here forever and decided to open a bed and breakfast. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the live music is too loud. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm in my 40s and I'm a mile down the road and I can hear the music and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'd like to sit here in silence. But Now the you're part, the decibel meter man. I am, except when I do that and I start to think that way and I go, I really like live music. I actually enjoy this when I'm in town. I can't pick and choose. So I'm in favor. But they're looking at their Nordic ordinance to make it consistent so they can create an ordinance that they cannot and probably will not enforce. Well, that's good to hear. So it'll be cleaner, but it'll be the same. As one person, this is an interesting thing back when they were doing this noise ordinance, and it probably applies now. If you, if somebody revved up their Harley going through town, it would be probably the loudest thing in town that day. Better get your decibel meter out. Many times... There will be like uh, storm drain vents that rattle when cars drive over them. And this happened back when they were trying to enforce it the first time. The guy said, well, actually, that, that rattle of that the village-owned drainage vent is louder than the band. But they both exceed the decibel level. Like, which one am I supposed to find? There's all sorts of instances like that where you have different things that actually exceed that more. It's all, it's all about the prolonged noise, but it's just kind of an example of how hard those things are to grapple with. Here's my tip for anybody who's dealing with noisy neighbors, like if you live next to Husby's. If you have a cell phone, and I'm sure you do, doubly so if you're listening to this podcast, just go to YouTube and type in 10 hours of white noise. <laughs> you just plug that thing in right next to your bed, you're good to go. I've actually found that I, I sleep better with white noise too as I'm getting older. I don't listen to white noise, but my son listens to white noise and we hear it coming through his baby monitor. So it mm. kind of gives us some white noise. Or... I'll just turn the, like, the ceiling fan on because I just need something. Like just some, if it's too quiet, I'm like, this is weird. I can hear my brain. I don't want to <laughs> hear that. I want to go to sleep. So just hey. a little bit of noise is good. I'd probably enjoy living right next door to Husby's. No, you probably wouldn't have. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> no, there are, there are problems with noise. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just picking a 20-year-old burr in, yeah. in my ass. There are problems with noise. You just need to decide if you're going to be a big nerd with a decibel meter or not. <laughs> All right, that's it. If I keep talking, I'm going to get meaner, and I probably shouldn't be as mean as I've been on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, but, 
edit with a no. Yeah, put this smile filter on when you do this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Miles, thanks for chatting with me, and I'll chat with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.